there's rumors in the Twitter sphere. Kind of on the topic for today. Love a role on the mat. On the mats. Say on the mat tonight. On the mat. Go on the mats. On the mat. On the mat. So glad you could make it out tonight. I, uh, I really appreciate y'all bringing me on the show. Good to go. Oh, yeah. Hello. There we go. I got you. Sweet. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, we did uh, We did one of this the first years that we did the podcast, and unfortunately, that was one of the lost episodes because it ended up saving most of them, but I, I lost a few that I didn't get to put up on Spotify. Oh, that's no, no worries. But I'm glad we got to run it back because this is a, uh, this is a good one. I love the topic that you were bringing up and the, the stuff that you're looking to do, so I'm excited to kind of hear more and, and see what you got planned. Absolutely. What's going on, Jamie? Not much, man. Great to be here. Great to hear from you. Likewise, man. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We have Professor Dakota from City Wolves Jiu-Jitsu in El Paso, uh, black belt out there, Las Cruces native, EMT here in Las Cruces. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. And we've got Jamie on as well, man. Thank both of you guys for coming out. Yeah, thank you for having me. I've been uh, an EMT for about five six years now in Las Cruces, so I'm happy to talk about this. Yeah, and the topic was uh, first responders and jiu-jitsu, right? And that's, right. I think that's what kind of led us to this conversation, is you had, you had made a post that was talking about how jiu-jitsu can help first responders and how you're looking to do stuff for people in the area. Can you tell us a little bit about like what, what led you to taking up that field and then what you were kind of hoping to accomplish there with those posts? I think what, what ultimately led me to it um, was I, I do have a couple of friends, one in El Paso. He's also uh, training with us at City Wolves, and he started his program at the police academy. He's a, he's a sheriff over there in El Paso. I was super excited for him because he's been, he's been working hard on trying to do that. And uh, another reason would uh, would have been a couple incidences here in Las Cruces, um, where I felt like maybe a couple of people could have benefited from uh, some sort of self-defense or, uh, you know, jiu-jitsu that could have helped a little bit more and not anyone get hurt. And it, it kind of sucks that I, I just wanted to help them. And I, I hope that that would reach a good audience and people would be interested because I know a lot of people are iffy about it because it's it could be of various reasons but hopefully I can make it not seem so intimidating but uh it's kind of hard yeah it definitely is it can be intimidating for people who are like just starting out or really don't know what it's about the reason I wanted Jamie on here is because he spent you know many years in the military in the border patrol and they do a lot of first on the scene first response there also so I want to hear from you guys, like, what is it, what does it take to be a first responder? How is it, how does it drain you mentally, physically, emotionally? Because you guys can respond to a wide array of, of situations, right? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Whether you're a paramedic or border patrol agent, a city cop, a firefighter, um, like a bunch of different positions where you're going to be, you're, you're going to be showing up first and you don't get to pick what the you know, call for service is the tough part. I think, and Dakota would probably agree with me on this: is the people who need 
jujitsu the most and who would benefit from it the most are often the hardest ones to sell on it. You know, it's not really what they want. It's outside of their comfort zone. So, and that's why they, they need it so well, but it's worked so well for first responders because like I said, whether you're medical personnel, law enforcement, whatever, we, we're the good guys to put it in fifth grader terms. And we don't need to beat somebody up or even, or kill somebody as much as we need to control the person and control the situation. And I thought this was a good, uh, dichotomy of uh, different professional experiences because I've helped out medical personnel controlling somebody that they're trying to render aid to who, you know, I, I don't need to beat this person up. I just need to stop them from trying to hurt the people that are trying to help them and stop them from hurting themselves. So I, I think overall it's a, it's a great dimension for uh, the profession. I like that you brought that up, Jamie, because that's kind of where my experience is I spent, you know, 10 plus years working with adults with disabilities and um, you guys would see probably a lot of the clients that we worked with who might have been having a seizure or could be having like challenging behavior, trying to hurt themselves or be injured. And uh, so that's where a lot of my experience lies. Dakota, what have uh, what have you kind of seen in in you said you said six years as an EMT? I would agree with uh, Jamie, first of all, before I lose this thought uh, about selling people what he was saying about the people that usually are hesitant or are the ones that probably need it the most as far as uh draining you know like jamie was saying we don't know what we're gonna get and a lot of the times it's very draining because i think before physical uh we do get verbally abused a lot quite a bit it's got to be one of those things where you kind of have to get like very thick skin because uh people are mean man um people are are pretty mean and usually the people that we do have to physically restrain they're usually sick people that uh have some sort of psychotic episode or psychiatric episode i should say you know whether it be mental or like alcohol or drug related and um I think six years for me, I've only had to do anything physical probably a handful of times. And the most of those times was when I worked in the hospital and I, I hats off to the nurses because they, they, I think they deal with a lot more because they have to deal with them for a longer time. And as far as in the field, I probably even less than a handful I've had to deal with people. And, and that's thankful we have, we have law enforcement on scene too. So we don't really have to help a whole lot. Um, they usually got a good grip of guys um, for them to restrain or even arrest whoever need be. But yeah, a handful of times for me and the the handful of times I, I've really seen how easy it was to control the situation. And even if somebody was hurt, uh, it was very easy to make sure nobody was going to get hurt more and it was very i'm very thankful to have known a lot of the things that i've you know train because i i think if i hadn't it would have been a lot a lot worse the job in general is pretty stressful you're coming into especially emts a lot of times you're coming into people's homes and it's not the not the best day for them they're obviously calling because they need assistance and so they have to be stressed, probably not in the best mood. And you get call after call of, of trying to help people that sometimes may not even want your help or may be resisting the help. 
absolutely i agree some of these these things we move forward in the in this podcast that i think will hopefully turn some people around and we can kind of convince some people start training you know one of the one of the benefits of jujitsu and a lot of other types of training like that is it gives you a certain amount of stress inoculation. You learn to be, we used to say, I used to be an endurance athlete when I was, since I was a kid till like my knees couldn't allow me to run anymore. And we used to say all the time when we were doing cross country, our coaches say, you have to learn how to become comfortably uncomfortable. You have to be comfortable in a less than at ideal situation. I think that's one of the benefits of jujitsu. You'll like, if you have a stressful life and a stressful job, whether you realize it or not, you're learning how to think it, well, well in, a, in horrible situations. You know, I've, I've been in a couple of fights in my job. I'm fortunate I've never been like really dogpiled by somebody or put on my back or trapped on the ground. But I have had that happen to me a lot every time I train jujitsu with people who are better than me. And it's something I'm very comfortable at. And I know, you know, the real world versus being on the mat is completely different. But I have a place to go. Like that has had, I've had that happen to me. So I, I know I have places to go where somebody who's never had that experience, the first time that happens to them, they're going to panic and they're going to shut down. And this brings back to one of the arguments I always tell people about where jujitsu can be recreational if you have a job where you don't work with the public in adverse conditions like first responders do. But it's a, it's a necessity if you're a first responder. And I always say like, well, who's going to benefit most from it? Like if you have some young kid who, you know, he wrestled since he was in grammar school all through high school and he got out of high school and he went into the Marine Corps and he was in the infantry in the Marine Corps. He got out after five years and then he goes and becomes a state trooper or a cop somewhere. And he knows how to fight and he has confidence and he's obviously physically fit and he can handle himself. And if he gets jujitsu in his life, it's going to help him and it's going to change his life. And he's going to more than likely love it and, and stay with doing it as long as he uh, can. But how much is that going to change his life compared to, let's say you have, um, you know, a 110, 115 pound EMT who has no combat experience, no paramilitary experience whatsoever, is, uh, you know, a little bit shy and uh, doesn't like confrontation. How much is jujitsu going to change that person's life? Probably like 200 percent or has at least the potential to do so. So that's what I always say. Like the people who need it the most are the ones you really need to get it to. I agree, man. And I think the hardest part about getting people to train is probably like the time and the money. I think people are afraid of like the cost. And I think that's a, that's an issue. Not, not saying that everyone's overpricing, but it, it's it's one of those things where I've seen a couple of gyms have like first responder and like military discounts. And I always tell people to ask about that because they don't. And I think that helps out a lot. And I think um, as far as time, uh, as you know, Jamie, you probably know this. A lot of first responders have to work overtime or they, they need to work overtime. I think maybe just training at least at least twice, two to three times a week would definitely be way more beneficial than they would think. As oh, it's, it's way more. Cause I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with like different agencies and their requirements for minimal training, like the, like for their certifications for like use of force, most departments, most police departments, they train one to two hours a year. I mean, how good wow. would you be at jujitsu if you did two hours of it a year? 
So even if you're getting in there twice a month, at that point, you're doing 24 times more than your department's requirement of uh, for, for training. And as far as having the time, I mean, like, it's tough. We all have lives and families and whatever. But one of the things, you know, that I used to realize about time was, like, when I used to uh, run marathons and, and what have you, it, it just comes down to if it's important to you, you will make time for it. You have time for it. Like, I used to run through the winter when I lived up north. And I came, uh, it came up at work. I was talking to people about it and they were like, how did you run 18 miles the other day? It was like, you know, 20 degrees below zero. I thought I did on my treadmill. I do my long runs on Saturday. I would keep training through the whole winter. And they're like, how long did that take you? And I'm like, oh, I was like, you know, uh, two hours, 40 minutes. And they were like, well, you, you ran on the treadmill for two hours and 40 minutes. I'm like, yeah, like, that's crazy. I'm like, how, how, when you got home from work, how long did you sit on your couch and watch TV? And they're like, I don't know, like three, four hours, and I went to bed. Like, yeah, I did the same thing, except I watched TV while running on the treadmill. And my point is, like, people who tell you they don't have an hour a week for jujitsu, it's like I like to pick their phone up and, like, go to the different apps where it's like, hey, let me see your phone for a minute. And you see, like, Instagram or Twitter or whatever. They have, like, three hours and 40 minutes a day on Instagram. They have, like... You know, an hour and 20 minutes on Facebook, it shows all the time how much you do on each of your different apps every day. It's like, you're a person telling me you don't have an hour a day to work out? You got like nine hours of social media bullshit that doesn't serve anything, except it's just cheap entertainment. So time is like one of those things, if if you can convince them it's important to them, because if if you work in an office or, or, or whatever, you're a librarian, jiu-jitsu is a hobby that may serve you in a practical situation, maybe once in your life, if you're really unlucky, like somebody might actually start a fight with you. But if you're a first responder, you're going to have to learn how to control people for your safety and for the effectiveness of your job and the safety of your partners and the whole and the public that you serve. Absolutely, man. I agree. And uh, to add on what you were saying about, um, the story of you doing the treadmill versus sitting on the couch, I, um, I, I think that's that's very, very good point. Um, I think firefighters have a little bit easier because they, they do have like a requirement to work out at least an hour a day. But I'm not sure about law enforcement. But I do know that for our uh, service that I work out, a lot of people, like mostly even me, it, most of our day is sitting down and like driving around. And I think that that kind of becomes a habit for a lot of people there. And it just kind of just you know, melts away into their life and it, it sucks because it's super hard to get out of because we're sitting there for sometimes eight to 12 hours or till the end of our shift. And we're kind of just waiting for something to happen really. Yeah. And, um, it, it, it's hard. It, it's, it becomes a habit. Yeah. You, and you don't get to pick what happens. And that's the thing. That's why, you know, people joke about firefighters. So it's like, Oh, you guys are hanging out at the house and playing pool and cooking and working out. It's like, they don't get paid for what they're doing. They get they get paid for what they have to do, what they could have called upon to, to have to do. But that's the thing where we we don't get to pick it. We're we're always going to be reactive as instead of proactive in in uh, our uh, work pattern. So yeah, I, I could see it lending to a mentality like that. Absolutely, man. I agree. So you brought up some really cool stuff, some really interesting points, Professor. That I want to touch on. A lot of people, for a lot of people, the problem is, like you said, either making time or making making enough money to support it because jiu-jitsu is uh, an expensive hobby or an expensive art to train so 
the military discount was a great thing, like you said, to extend that to to first responders and you know border patrol agents. It's one of our probably our most popular programs is the military discount. But what I want to hear is like, how do you break the habits? You talked about the habits, right? Like, okay, I need to make time. I need to make sure I put away enough money. But just starting the habit in itself is um, is really hard. So how do you deal with stuff like that? Creating a, a, a habit of doing the like something good, you just have to make it part of your life. And it has to become something like, you know, you hear people talk about, Fortunately, not as often as when I was younger, but I remember it was always a thing for people to like, I'm going to go on a diet to lose weight and then they're going to go back to doing what they're doing. And it's like, it doesn't work that way. If you're going to make something, you're going to commit to something, you have to make it part of your life. It has to be scheduled in and there has to be, um, it has to fall into a hierarchy of needs for you where, you know, maybe it's not the most important thing in your life. You got a kid, you got this, you got that other things going on, but it has to be something that you just don't drop every time something else comes up. Absolutely, man. I agree. And I think that goes back to the popular saying that has been going around in a uh, jujitsu recently was like, what was the hardest belt to obtain? And a lot of people thought it was black belts, but it was actually the white belt, right? Cause it's like, it's the hardest thing because the hardest thing to do is to start and to start those habits and to really like move move your whole life around to this new new development that you're developing and this character that you're building into uh, something better for yourself. I really like that. And you, I remember you from the beginning of my journey when I was a white belt. Uh, I remember you know seeing you at competition, seeing you in the training room. I've always I've, I've always told you I've always admired your style of jujitsu and how you approach training and you know and everything that goes along with it. That those were all great points, man, because it's definitely worth it. But you have to you have to make the time and take that first step and at least, you know, give it a shot and, and actually like believe in it. Believe that if you stick with it, it really will, you know, help your life for the better, which, you know, it has for me and a whole lot of other people that we've talked to. Thank you, man. Thank you for those the kind words. I appreciate that. You definitely, man. You've got the you've got the smooth jujitsu. If you have, I mean. Uh, if you guys who are listening, if you've never seen Professor, when he rolls, it's just always really smooth. Everybody has a style to them that's very unique to like their personality, right? And um, I've always enjoyed how you don't ever force moves. Everything's set up. It's really elegant. It's timed. And, and you seem to be really meticulous about how you're pulling off these moves instead of just like forcing them or making them happen. Is, uh, is there a reason for that, the way you play with that specific style? I think most of the time I'm when I'm not looking to compete, I'm kind of trying new things and um, trying to develop new skills so I don't really stay complacent. And it's also like a good way to like keep learning new stuff. And I think that goes for what we're talking about today. Like if we keep doing like new stuff, like whether it's like, trying a new workout or something or trying new habits for like the, you know, like first responders or something. I think uh, it, it, it keeps things fun and fresh. And, uh, but going back to your question, um, yeah, dude, that's, that's, that's really what I do for just to try new stuff and see what I can work into my game and what I, what I can't work just so I could keep things fresh. 
how's the um, how's the training at City Wolves going, man? Tell us a little bit about that because you've been out there for, you've been out there for a while. It's in El Paso, Texas. I really enjoy the content that they put out, and it looks like you guys are having fun when you're out there training, and it looks like you're training hard. So, uh, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about that training out there with those guys. It's fun, dude. We we have a we have a really good team. Our uh, our main dude, Mike. He's really trying to push the school to be a competition school, and uh, he's doing a really good job at it. Shout out to Mike. That's mainly what his school's coming out to, and uh, we, we, we're so blessed to have um, the people that we have, uh, Professor Fran um, from Fight Sports, directly from Brazil, directly training with, uh, with uh, Cyborg, same with Mike. But we're, we're really blessed to have the people that we do. Um, as far as training, everything's good everyone's always always competing we have our little group of people that are competing all the time but also at the same time we kind of keep the same pace to people who are who are not competing so that way we have uh, a people that kind of match the energy in the gym and we we always have people coming by and we have a lot of uh people that are big on social media platforms uh, like Millhouse, and it attracts a lot of people to the gym. So we always have big names coming through the gym, and it it really puts this not pressure in a bad way, but it it, it puts everybody uh, on the kind of like their A game all the time. It, it's 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 fun, man. I, I I'm enjoying it. I think a lot of people right now are training for pans. I'm not doing pans just because I don't have enough points for black belt adult, but that's what everybody's waiting on right now is everyone's training at pans. So we got a lots of, lots of hard roles and lots of things people are working on at the moment. Yeah, I've definitely seen it, you know, as a, as a school owners and and as a coach, whenever we go to competitions, I'm always paying attention to the other schools in the area whose who students are doing well, who's hard, who's hard to compete against. And City Wolves is always a tough role. If I see you guys there, I know you're going to be well coached and, and really, really good on the mat. So I've, I appreciate like what you guys are doing and what Mike's doing out there. I think it's, it's really working. Jiu-Jitsu House is the Instagram. We what was you said? What did you say his name was? Uh, Millhouse is what, is what we call him. The, the, <laughs> He's obtained the name of a general lately, but it's a, it's a little inside joke we have, but it's going to be at Jiu-Jitsu House, Millhouse. Yeah, I've loved watching his his profile just grow, man. He's put out good content. The videos are doing well. It's one of the ones that I really enjoy watching. Absolutely, man. And I uh, inadvertently, like, I'm, I'm in a lot of his videos, and it – kind of uh puts me into this space where a lot of people are like hey who's that guy in the video he's in all a lot of your videos so I'm, I'm gonna follow him too so it, it uh kind of helps everybody out and it helps helps out the gym as well it does man it helps bring you know attention to the sport it helps the gyms it helps you know the people kind of show what they're doing and get the more people we have interested the better it is and I think I saw you. The latest one was like black belt advice, right? Uh, I think I just saw one of those. Oh yes, uh, confessions of a black belt. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, that one's a. I I didn't really know what to think of, and I told Millie to like kind of hold off on that until I figured out something. But I think uh, Mike and Professor Fran had some really really good ones, and I and 
I think uh, Professor Franz was was very good. He spoke in Portuguese, and I felt like that one was for the uh, the sport, and uh, I really felt that one. And Mike's was really good as well, man. Yeah, it's been cool to see that content, and I never know who I'm going to see on those videos, but I like I'll, I'll see you and. We'll see Kamoy and Andrea out there on videos, and it looks like you guys are having fun. So, yeah, we just wanted to give a shout-out to City Wolves and all the, the fun that you guys are having, the good jiu-jitsu that you guys are doing out there in El Paso. It helps to have, a, you know, so many good schools out on the scene. Yeah, man, absolutely. And same with you guys. Like, shout-out you guys. You, you guys have a really good school, and I appreciate, like, I can go in there and and train, but not only train, but, you know, catch up with you guys and have, you know, have a couple of laughs. And it's, it's like, I, uh, it's like, I never, you know, it's like, we've, we've seen each other every day. You know what I mean? Like I don't see you guys for a couple months and then I go say hi. And it's like, you know, we picked up right back on track and I appreciate, you know, you guys down here in Crucis. Oh yeah, man. You always need good training partners. You know, it, it helps us stay safe. It helps us enjoy the game. And you've always been one of those really good training partners. I want to take it kind of back to our topic a little bit because you had mentioned stress before. And I wanted to ask about, you know, what kind of stressors do you go through as a first responder? And how does jiu-jitsu help you, not just with the physical aspect and knowledge of, you know, how to, how to keep your body safe, keep others safe, but how does it help you handle the mental aspect? Well, I feel as a competitor... Uh, it kind of helps out a lot more um, dealing with the stress. I, I feel like competing is very stressful, but I would say as like the, the common practitioner or the, the uh, hobbyist, uh, I feel like they would have a lot easier time dealing with stress. Kind of like the saying, like and wrestling, when I wrestled, we just said like, if you could wrestle, you could do anything in life. I think for me, this, the biggest stressor at work would be the call volume. I think that kind of drains me the most. Me personally would just be like seeing a patient, dropping them off, having a little bit of time to just kind of relax and then, you know, clearing the hospital and having to go right to another one. All all shift, that kind of drains me. And how I, how I handle that really is, honestly, man, I just kind of go to my own, my own space in my head and uh, I kind of just grind it out. Well, some days I just grind it out or most days I'll, um, you know, take a, take a breather, take a couple of minutes to myself and, you know, I like to be by myself. So I'll go to the bathroom for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes to just be by myself for a little bit. And, you know, I, that's how I recharge. So I'll recharge with that. I mean, I think jiu-jitsu has helped me uh, under stress with that as well. I feel like when I'm on scene, and there's something really bad happening, I feel myself not freaking out. And if I'm not freaking out and I could guide everybody else around me, uh, whether it be my fellow partners from the same ambulance service, uh, law enforcement, or the other firefighters, I feel like if I'm calm, everybody else is going to be calm. And I, I feel like that's how jiu-jitsu has helped me. Tons of good stuff in there. I love all that. You talked about the calm stress, like not just practicing jujitsu, but also competing in jujitsu teaches you different skills. And I'm glad that you brought it up because one of the things that I've always loved about watching you before comp is you're cool. I've seen you. You like the solitude. You, you'll put your headphones in. 
you'll be by yourself, but you always look really calm. And one time I even thought you might've been sleeping, but you were just kind of chilling, laying, you know, like laying on your bag or something. I, I love that you brought that up because the stresses that we go through in comp are great for learning how to manage that, those emotions, those feelings, and all those anxieties. So how do you stay so cool, man? To be honest, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm really not. I'm, I'm freaking out <laughs> in my head, man. I'm, uh, I'm freaking out so bad. Hey, it's kind of like that Mike Tyson quote, really. I, uh, you know, he's in the dressing room and he's like freaking out. He thinks he's going to lose. And, you know, as until I hit the mat, that's when I feel most confident. And uh, I overthink a ton and um, that I'm freaking out, to be honest. And I think a lot of people do. And I think it's it's hard not to. It's super hard because you have standards you want to hold yourself to. And you see all these these guys, the, your your heroes that might have been at one point and they're in your same bracket. And it's just there's a lot of things to be thinking about. And. And finally, once you hit the mat, it's, it's just game time no matter what. So I, I'm just freaking out until, man. <laughs> that's, that's the honest truth. It's a little reassuring. I, I get those feelings, too. And both you and Jamie said something about, like, being able to go to your own space or, like, that mindscape that, you know, we learn to cultivate in jiu-jitsu or in wrestling where when things are very physically demanding and you think you can't continue – there's a place in your head where you can go that you can push yourself through. And I really like that both of you brought that up. One of the benefits of jujitsu I find is it mimics a lot of what we started doing about 10 years ago, which is called uh, scenario based training where they would take uh, a person and it, they would do it for first different type of first responders, but we, we would uh, lean heavily in the use of force uh, arena where you actually have somebody go through a scenario with role players who are, of course, other agents or other, uh, you know, law enforcement officers. And you run like a force on force drill, you know, you, you get into gunfights using simunitions, which are marking cartridges, but they actually hurt. So there's like some positive feedback. We'll use uh, fight scenarios where you employ uh uh, shock knives, which give you feedback where it actually hurts. And the whole point of it is giving somebody the experience kind of on a dumbed down level, but it, it lets them feel like they've been been there before. Because have either of you guys ever heard the expression, you know, your life flashes before your eyes in a near-death experience? Absolutely. Yeah. So it, that, that, that apparently uh, actually occurs to, to, to people quite frequently. And the neurological explanation is when you are in really, really bad situation, like you're near death, what your body, what your brain is trying to figure out is what did, when did this happen to me before and what was my solution? So that's why you start getting that, that impending recall of uh, your life flashing before your eyes, because your brain is trying to figure out when did this happen to me before and what did I do to get out of it? You're getting uh, they call it impending total recall. So what, scenario-based training does is it puts you in an area where it's like oh i got a guy on top of me and he's mounted on top of me he's pounding the living hell out of me and it's like oh i i did this before and they showed me i can trap his leg on one side and bridge really hard and instead of them sitting there locking up and panicking it gives them a place to go to and uh this this has uh, been valued uh, very highly in uh, sports psychology so much so that uh, olympic athletes from several different countries now and it was actually uh 
one of the Soviet bloc countries that started this, they would train with their athletes to use what they called visual actualization or for they would build a replica of whatever the Olympics was, where the podium was, and they would have them presented with a medal at the end of the practice week. So it's like, I've seen this happen before, so it's not a novel experience. It's not something that uh, I can't visualize myself ever doing. I'm just going to go out there and do it again. Whether it's an Olympic medal or whether you're you're in a violent confrontation with somebody, because most people, it's funny, like in academy situations where they start teaching guys how to spar and box a little bit, you can see the people that have fought before that are good. You can see the people that have fought before and they suck. They just they they fought. They just know how to hit somebody and they've been hit a few times. And then you see the people that like the first time they get cracked when they're out there, even with gloves and headgear on. They just, their body just, it's like they go to another dimension. Now, I don't mean they get dropped, but they just, they just freeze up because it's a completely novel experience. It's like taking a, uh, a Kalahari Bushman and throwing him in ice water. Uh, he's, he, it's going to be something he's never experienced before in his life. And if you don't want the first time you experience a violent confrontation to be for real, if you can avoid it outside of a training environment, you know. That's what's beautiful about the training room is it gives us a controlled environment where we can experience a lot of this stressful, a lot of these stressful scenarios. Professor, what do you think about any thoughts on the mindscape? Yeah, for for me, it's it's more of like I I have ADHD, so I, I like live in my head constantly. So I think um, if I could literally just be by myself for like 10, 15 minutes, it definitely helps me but i think um everybody's different and what jamie was saying that some people just kind of freeze up i think those are the people that kind of have to do it like five to ten times for them to actually stick and then there's just the naturals that they just get it right away and i i think that absolutely builds a a, a callus into everybody's mind whether it's the person that does it five times five ten times or the person that does it once and, and gets it right either way it's it's still going to be repetitions and and calloused it's like the the bruce lee saying the he doesn't fear the person that has kicked ten thousand times it's the the person that he fears that has practiced one kick ten thousand times it's just that that type of thing as far as the mindscape it, it, that's definitely a work in progress whether you deal with it um, by yourself or you, you have to deal with it right there and then. That's something that has to be developed. Um, I know some people develop it by doing hard things like ice baths or, you know, uh, some people, their mindscape might be just running, uh, you know, like Forrest Gump or everybody has their, their little niche for that mindscape and they, they kind of have to figure that out what it is. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And different people do it different ways. I've tried the ice bath thing and it's not for me. I hate cold water, uh, but it is definitely a mental challenge. It's it's challenging for sure. Yeah, man, I, I love the ice baths personally. That's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I know we didn't hit too much. We didn't hit too much of your training, like your background in martial arts, because you said you wrestled also. Can you give us real, just a real quick background on on kind of how you got into martial arts and what you've studied over the years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started off with football 
and I, <laughs> I, I had a temper. I mean, I still do, but more less so. I had a temper in football, and I, I'd keep getting kicked out because I would get into fights all the time, whether it be like with my teammates or the other, the other team, or even the referee. I just wanted to get my hands on somebody. Even the ref. <laughs> yeah, even the ref, dude. Even the ref was like ten years old. I remember. Uh, no, I was in middle school, and I remember a ref kept giving us a flag for something ridiculous, and I, uh, I went and tackled him, and. Uh, I mean, ultimately, we, I got us thrown out of the game, and it all fell down on me. But it was it was that stuff like that that my dad was like, "Okay, maybe he's not meant for for football or, or basketball. Let's uh, let's let's try putting him in um, some judo." So I started off with judo and and uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu with uh, shout out to Oscar. He 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 runs. Um, an MMA school here in uh, Cruces. I, I can't think of the name right now. Legacy. Legacy. There you go. Uh, he runs. He runs Legacy. I, was, I did that for uh, most of the years with him. That's how I developed my my friendships. Um, I did that, and then uh, I wrestled in school. I wrestled. Uh, I wrestled at uh, Camino, and um, and then I did a uh, an off wrestling team outside of school. I wrestled a little bit and in uh, El Paso as well. And I did that for maybe about two or three years. Um, I was 10 to uh, 14, 10 to 15. And then I really started to do jiu-jitsu a lot more. Um, I never really developed fully into judo, and I, I miss judo. I wish I could do that. I would like to get my black belt in judo. That'd be awesome. I always talk to uh, this gentleman at uh, Zen, um, shout out Luna and, uh, I'm trying to work with him a lot, uh, cause he's a black belt in judo, but, um, I, I, and also I did a lot of, uh, boxing and, and MMA. I fought professionally in Dallas when I moved to Dallas, about four, four pro fights. Uh, I did a lot of Muay Thai fights, um, up in Dallas has a crazy scene for Muay Thai fights, like Thai boxing. I did a lot more of those, probably about 10, 10 fights in Thai boxing. I got one too many concussions and that kind of scared me. So I, I kind of just stayed in the, in the grappling realm. And uh, I always get the itch to, to fight. I always get the itch, but I never really come around to it again. But other than that, that's, that's been my, my journey so far. You're one of the lucky ones, man, to have discovered martial arts early in life. I know I didn't start training until I was in my thirties, early thirties. So I've always thought as, as a kid's coach, when I see the kids learning, that it helps so much the, the earlier you get in there. But, um, you know, for those people who haven't started yet, it definitely don't let that keep you from starting now. One of my, one of my favorite cliches was always um, the best time to start jujitsu is 10 years ago and the second best time is today. So it's really cool to hear that you've kind of had exposure to all the different, a bunch of different martial arts over the years. And that you kind of stayed a lifelong martial artist. Yeah, man, absolutely. And I think a good product of that is, uh, as for an example, would be Diego and Colby. And they they uh, they both started when around uh, Colby, even younger than me. Um, he's probably been training the same amount of time I have been, and he's way younger than me. Yeah, I see that kid, and I'm blown away. I've seen Diego at competitions. Same thing, man. It's it's 
different kind of martial art when you do it so instinctually. I think, yeah, definitely the younger you do it, it, it makes things a lot easier. But it's also, like, uh, it's good to have those kind of people because I like to train with Diego and, and uh, I invite Colby out as often as I can. And uh, I even learned from Colby, you know, he, he's, he's a wizard, man. He's only, I think he's only, like, 15, maybe, 14, 15. He's, he's a wizard, man. I, I love that kid. Oh yeah, man. I have, I've learned many moves from that kid. It just in my time on the mat, I love the way he looks at and approaches the game. And like I said, like when I do jujitsu, it's very methodical. I I'm doing it the way I learned it. But when you learn it from such a young age, you're essentially just doing it. You're just moving and, and your body does it very naturally. And, uh, and you can see the difference, but yeah, they're great training partners. And and I'm already learning a lot. You know, me at 38, I learned, I was learning from a 14-year-old kid, you know, when Kobe comes down. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy to think? Because <laughs> it's like, when like you're, you're younger, you're always like in school, you're like learning from like older people. And then just like it, it kind of turns around. Isn't that crazy? It is, man. And it's great. It's great for no matter what point in your jujitsu journey that you are, you can always become a student. You can always teach someone something. I mean, I learn when I'm teaching, I learn from my white belts and my blue belts all the time and just the way they approach or look at the game. You know, just an example, the other day we learned, uh, me and Melhouse were, he's been doing this certain move and this white belt and he can't do it to this white belt. And me and Milhouse sit down with the white belt and say, hey man, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm just moving my foot this way. And I'm just like, oh. Okay, like we just learned something from somebody that just started like a month ago. It's just, it's just crazy. I was just going to say that's really one of the things I really enjoy about jujitsu is the fact that, you know, everybody has something that they can teach you, if nothing else, what not to do. And that's kind of half a joke, but half serious. But, and the fact that it's ever expanding. Like I always use the buggy choke as an example. Of course, it's been a couple of years now, like what, six years ish? But, from my understanding, that thing was invented by a white belt in San Diego at like, I think he was at Akos. It was just a lanky kid that can't, and you don't see that with other martial arts because they either stopped growing because they were part of an era, uh, like something like Kung Fu, or th they've just done everything they can with them, like something like boxing. Like, and that's, that's what I did. Uh, the, for my first exposure to any martial art was boxing. But you think about it. It's a great skill to have, but it's kind of a really contrived sport where it's like, okay, I'm going to fight you and you're going to fight me and we're going to stand in front of each other and we're going to punch, but we can't kick each other and we can't grab onto each other. You know, so there's not anything you can really innovate in the world of boxing. Like nobody's going to come up with, unless you just radically change the rules, you know, like, Hey, Western boxing now has, uh, allows spinning back fists and, uh, you know, um, sidekicks. Okay. Then you've changed the rules on it. But other than that, there's not really anything that can new come out of it, but jujitsu is constantly changing and expanding and people are coming up with new techniques and encounters to new techniques. And, and you don't have to be some, you know, very high level black belt or famous person to, to invent something. Anybody can, can invent something. It's just a matter of figuring it out because we all got two arms and two legs and one neck and you can figure out how to manipulate your body and somebody else's. Very good point, man. I agree. We've got about 10 minutes left and I wanted to, I wanted to give you time to talk about 
what you were wanting to do for the first responders in the community, how you're looking to, you know, share jujitsu with them. So what were the things that you kind of had in mind? Well, uh, currently it's all, uh, it's all whiteboard scribble um, in nature. I wanted to get in touch with a couple of the agencies, of course, and kind of see what I can do as far as um, getting people interested first. And then, then I wanted to figure out where was the question is like, and I know you reached out to me, said you were more than willing to, to host. And I think that was awesome. And, and I think that's a really good idea. Um, and then now it would be the question of like, okay, is this going to be like a couple classes? Is this going to be like a week-long thing, a month-long thing? Is this going to be like uh, once a month or like, and then the other point would be like, how is this going to be, um, are these people going to pay for it or, or am I just doing this for free time or like I, it's all whiteboard scribble, but I, I think um, the pieces are slowly moving and uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm still not twi- not quite sure of, of, of how to go about it. I love it, man. The the whiteboard scribble, I always call that casting spells because you're spelling and the intention is there. You know, we're putting we're putting that energy out. I would love to be a part of it. I'd love to help. I think it'd be great if we could get some kind of program for first responders in the community in whatever aspect. I think uh, you probably brought it up, like even just maybe a seminar or a certain number of classes. But I would love to I would love to help with whatever you whatever you come up with on that end. And and you can use the gym as long as the as long as there's, you know, an open slot, man, you can use it and free of charge. I would just love to be part of this, you know, helping the community. So if there are any first responders out there who are interested or you guys know anyone, you know, let them know. And hopefully we'll be able to bring something like that out really soon, because I think it can be just beneficial for everybody involved absolutely man that's that's awesome i i I appreciate that i really do and i know a lot of people other other and a lot of other people would appreciate that as well real quick if you don't mind mark millhouse actually uh asked me a question um if i get to answer that real quick shouldn't take too much time oh yeah of course a lot of followers i'm sure you know millhouse is also a, a first responder in el paso and he had asked me how jiu-jitsu has changed my approach to dealing with combative patients. I think my approach has changed is different than somebody who's not training. What do I mean by that? I mean, somebody who's not trained would probably be under the cliche of seeing red, right? They, they probably just, their instinct would be just probably just to fight. And I think for me, that changes my approach is, okay, how can I quickly stop this person from hurting themselves or hurting everybody else? And um, I know Jamie talked about this as well, is just how fast we can control this person. And I think that that has helped me. And I don't really feel the need to want to fight anymore. It's just more of like, I just want to get this over with so you know, this person can go to jail or he can go, you know, be sedated and then being taken care of psychiatrically um, or, or something of that nature. It's, I think it's the, it's the ultimate skill for our profession because uh, anybody can hit somebody. 
And the problem with hitting somebody, like I, I, I go back to like, you know, I'm old enough to remember even growing up in a, a, a metropolitan city that has tons of money. Uh, I grew up in New York City. Uh, the New York City Police Department, when I was a kid in the 1980s, they have an emotionally disturbed person or anything like that, or you, you're a psychiatric patient. Uh, the cops showed up and they used garbage can lids and just beat them with a stick until they beat the person into submission. And that's one of the, the misconceptions with jujitsu. You hear people who aren't aren't familiar with it, like, oh, those cops are choking somebody or whatever. It's like police should use chokes, but they should be trained properly how to use them. Because if you're fighting somebody and you have to get them into handcuffs or get them onto a backboard or restrain them to put them into an ambulance, you can either choke them or you can beat them basically until they're either unconscious or they just quit because you've injured them that much. And I tell you, I mean, getting choked out is, you know, it's, it's much less damaging on a person, especially when the person doing it knows what they're doing. But that's the thing about jujitsu that's so good. It's ultimately, it's so scalable. Like you could have a 70 year old lady who's 90 pounds and she's combative and somebody who's skilled in jujitsu like we are could grab grab her and control her and not injure her and we could accomplish whether it's we need to arrest her whether we need to stop her from running around because she's injured or or whatever we can do that and somebody of equal size and strength that isn't trained in jiu-jitsu is not going to have the the ability to do that and back to your uh what you're trying to accomplish with uh providing for first responders if i could make a suggestion if you have the option I would endeavor to do it like once a month as opposed to like a week long class or something like that, because these people that need it, they're going to forget, you know, it's kind of like if you're off the mat for a while because of injuries, you're going to lose a little bit of uh, fluency, uh, especially in the things that you are, are weakest in and uh, re repeated tr in service training is probably going to serve them better. And as Mark was saying, you know, I don't own a gym or anything, but I'm always around any help you need, if uh, you know, if I'm around, I'd be more than happy to help you with that. If you, if you, if you require it. Hey man, that's actually a great, great suggestion, and I think that would probably be one of the moving pieces. And that's, I, I really like that because losing, you know, like you were saying, like the, they're probably gonna forget. And you're right, you're right. I, I think, um, I think that's a great moving piece. You know, maybe bring them in with a seminar. And the nice thing about a seminar is you could you could bring it to them rather than having to convince these guys to show up at a gym or whatever. You could you guys could set it up at uh, Millhouse's Firehouse and bring some mats in there and bring it to them as a you know, or go to a police station or go to a hospital. That's another thing that I did in, when I was in California is we also angled it for uh, you know healthcare providers in the hospital, you know, nurses as you were as you spoke on earlier dealing with combative individuals and what have you. And it's like anything else, any other behavior that you're trying to modify and change, the easier you make it for the person you're trying to, uh, you know, impress this uh, new habit on, the more likely your success is going to be. So like if they don't have to drive clear across town on their day off to go to some, or if, if it can sh happen on a training day while they're already at work, all the better. Make it a seminar to hook them in and then be like, all right, hey, we're going to be doing this once a month at this gym. That's a great idea, man. Don't want to take anything away, but also shout out to the to the Belladonna. Um, they move around a lot. It's just the woman's only mat, and they move around a lot. That would be a good idea for that as well. As what you were saying, Jamie, like moving around like maybe departments or uh, stations 
or even gyms. That that's a good idea. I like that. Yeah, that's awesome stuff. And that was a really great question too, because I've definitely seen that. Great question. Thank thanks for the participation, guys. Jamie, really, really good one on that also. Well, thanks, guys. It was a really pleasure being here with both of you. Oh, yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for making time. I do. Before I let you guys go, though, uh, we had a spot in there for anecdotes. So were there any funny stories or any interesting calls that you guys have been on as first responders? Along the PG-13 line, that would be uh, more uh, audience friendly. But if you want to go ahead, Dakota, I'll reach into my memory bank if you have one on, uh, in the chamber. Yeah, man, I uh, I remember this one patient um, kind of goes along with where we were talking about today. Um, person on, on drugs, most likely meth. Um, we had to, uh, I, I felt like I, need, I, I needed to help out the police department because they were tasing this gentleman and uh, he was not going down and he was slipping away from everybody. But the, uh, the contributing factor was this gentleman was naked. So uh, we're chasing this naked dude around um, around the city, and uh, <laughs> nobody wanted to touch him. Right? You know, I mean, rightfully so. I mean, of course, who wants to touch a naked dude? You know, I, I felt like uh, jujitsu would help me with that. You know, I kind of, you know, take him down and get to control and put his hands behind his back, and eventually he got arrested. But yeah, that'd probably be one of the one of the funnier ones that I what I was on. That's hilarious, man. And it's just a thin layer of clothing from nogi guy to naked guy. So jujitsu, I'm sure, prepared you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. That, that naked guy gets around because he, he turns up in a lot of cop and first responder and, you know, paramedic stories. I've, I've seen him show up all over the place. Uh, I had uh, the, the one I can think of off the top of my head that probably would be the most relevant being jujitsu related was uh, a long time ago, I was working uh, near Ajo, Arizona, which is in the middle of nowhere. And there wasn't a whole lot of law enforcement in the area aside from the Border Patrol. You'd occasionally see an Arizona state trooper, maybe a county sh uh, sheriff's deputy. But I got a call one night when I was working there, like, hey, is there any Border Patrol units uh, anywhere near the, the gas station by Y? And Y is a tiny, W-H-Y, believe it or not, is a tiny little town near Ajo. And I was right near there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm like two, two miles out. Who is this? And it's like Arizona uh, Fish and Game. Uh, I'm at a gas station. Uh, I got a suspected DWI and two combative individuals. If you, if you could uh, ex expedite. And I could hear like somebody yelling in the background. So I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like three miles away. So I like put my foot down and I show up at this gas station. And most game wardens, a lot of people don't realize, like they're, they're state troopers in every state I've ever worked in. They're a state trooper that then goes to like fishing game school for another month or two, but they have all the same authority as a state trooper for, you know, arresting people for anything from murder to DWI or whatever. But most of the time they're just out looking for people fishing and breaking those type of laws. Well, this guy happened upon two guys that had pulled into this gas station. They were drunk already. They tried to buy beer from the gas station attendant. The gas station attendant was like, no guys, I can't sell to you. You're freaking intoxicated. So they started fighting with the guy. The guy called 911. The cop shows up, and they're both fighting with the cop. By the time I got there, he had one of them, and he had just handcuffed him and tossed him into the front seat of his truck because he's a game warden. He doesn't have, like, a caged area to put the guy. 
So he tossed him into the front seat of his truck and to just get him out of the way. And then the other guy's being combative with him. So I roll up as he's, you know, circling this other guy. And the guy's drunk and his attention's completely on him. The guy was huge, too. He was a big Tahona Odom Indian. Who They're all like six foot two, six foot three, big dudes. So I went up behind the guy because his attention was completely on him. And I kind of pushed his knee a little bit with my foot to get him lower. And I jumped up on his back and I just, I was going to try and take him down like by, by doing like a backside double, but I just so happened to get a really good hold on his neck and I actually ch- I choked the guy out. And he went down down like a freaking gut shot moose and rolled him onto his side, put him in the recovery position. I told the troop, the the, uh, the game warden, I'm like, handcuff this guy, handcuff him. And he was so big. This guy was so big, he could barely get his hands behind his back. He handcuffed him. So I go over and I like lift the guy's legs and I'm holding his legs up. And then... I said, hey, go go check on the other guy because the other guy was banging on the windshield of his car of, of the where he had just thrown him in because he had handcuffed him with his hands behind his back, but he was kicking the windshield. I said, I got this guy. Go check the other guy. So then I hear the game warden like cursing and getting all pissed off, and I look over, and there's no, no fighting going on. I'm like, all right, whatever, and this guy's starting to come to, and I'm calling on my radio to like, hey, is there anyone else near here because we've got like this big 300-pound guy. He's in handcuffs, but he's going to be fighting when he gets up, and this guy's going to need help transporting people. So the guy he had picked up and initially just handcuffed and threw in his truck, kind of unsecured, to get back at the poor uh, game warden, even with his pants handcuffed behind his back, he managed to pull his pants down and shit all over the game warden's dashboard, his steering wheel, the front seat of his car. <laughs> shit everywhere. Like, it was horrid. It was, it was absolutely horrible. So we got both of the ghost guys transported by a sheriff and I gave him a ride back to uh, the my station, and he picked up out of our hazmat gear. He picked up like a Tyvek suit, and he went back and cleaned the whole inside of his truck and everything. I felt I felt so bad for the guy because he had human shit all over the inside of his friggin' truck. It was it was hard. I mean, I was just glad it wasn't me. <laughs> so I don't know if you want I don't know if you want to leave that story in or not, but that's uh that that's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I didn't know that about game wardens that they're uh, state troopers. Yeah, yeah. That's well. Every state I've worked in, that's what they are. They they usually a lot of the time they have this, their academy together. Like they'll hire a class of like thirty five troopers. At, well, I'm, that's I'm thinking big states, you know, like Texas or whatever. And there'll be five of them in that class that are actually game wardens. They go to the same academy as the troopers. They have the same authority, and then they go off to fish and game school afterwards. They have the exact same authority and training as a state trooper in most states because they have to have the, they're not like by county or by town. They're an entity under the state. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I have my share of stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet you, you guys get to see that a lot too. A lot of bodily fluids. More than I would want to. Vomit's <laughs> probably, uh, probably vomit on a regular basis, right? Oh, yeah, dude. Everybody's sick all the time throwing up. Yeah, and then it's got to be hard just to stay healthy being around that many sick people. You're not necessarily in a hospital, you know? That's got to be rough. It's important to stay healthy. Yeah, man, it makes me want to be healthy. That's true. The help, the more healthy habits you have, the better chance you have of staying healthy, as opposed to, like you said, it's hard if you're just sitting around, driving around all day, and then not doing anything else on your off time. Absolutely. Jamie, we got to share more stories, dude. That's hilarious. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll think of some. I mean, I'm, the bad part is I'm not accumulating anymore because I retired seven months ago. But I, I got a, I got a couple of good ones down through the years. Yeah, I think you'd appreciate. <laughs> I love it. That's cool, man. Yeah. Uh, so let's. Uh, we're gonna get ready to wrap it up. But I would want to get any advice from you guys. Any advice for people out there who are interested in you know a career as first responder or you know law enforcement stuff like that. Any advice for people who are already in the field as far as jujitsu goes and vice versa? I would say just go. You got you got just go. Kind of like uh, going to the gym for the first time, you know, picking up weights. It's intimidating, but uh, 90% of the gyms you're going to go to, people are going to be super nice and welcoming. I hope you don't visit the 10% of the gyms, or I don't even know if that's accurate, but like, you know, the small percentage of gyms that are that are rude. I hope that never happens to anybody, but... Most of the time, everyone's going to be super cool and welcoming, uh, and it's going to be like, uh, you know, like a second part of the family. Like, uh, you know, if you're in the firehouse or if you're uh, law enforcement, it's going to be like hanging with the guys. Um, you're going to get to know everybody, and, uh, you know, you're going to see everybody. You're going to beat each other up, and then you go home. You know, you feel more confident. and I, I think um, the biggest part is just starting. I, I love how you talked about the family because – one of my favorite things about owning a gym and teaching class is seeing the people that come in and knowing that we're the highlight of their day. They've been at work, whether they're business professionals, students, medical, law enforcement, you know, there's a wide range of people who do this sport. And one of the things that makes my day is when people come in and they, they exhale as soon as they walk in and they're like, man, you know, I've been looking forward to this all day, whether it's 10 round Tuesday or just getting to go to class or, you know, getting some roles in. So, yeah, I, I echo that that advice, man. Just start. Just go. I, I would say this, that, you know, jujitsu, you, whether you're a first responder or whether you're just a regular uh, civilian, will it make you better at your, your job and other aspects of your life? Yeah, definitely. If you're a first responder, can you can you live and function without it? Of course. I mean, there was lots of cops doing this job before jujitsu was invented, and and there's ones doing it now that are doing it well. I mean, they'd certainly have another tool in their toolbox. But leaving the the work related stuff out of it, just on a personal level, for anybody that's contemplating or on the fence about jujitsu, let me say that the best thing that jujitsu has done for me is the fantastic people that it has brought into my life that I would have never met through any other means. I mean, all the other things that I get out of jujitsu, I think I could have gotten and been a fully fulfilled and self-actualized person without it through a mixture of other areas if I never even knew it existed. But the thing that's best for me is uh, there's so many people that if I hadn't been involved in jujitsu, I would have never been acquainted with them in any way, shape or form. And they, they have enhanced my life in wonderful areas uh, completely unrelated to jujitsu. Yeah, it's great how we can get together and share common interests. And and again, you have so many different kinds of people with different backgrounds that it pr- it provides for a lot of growth and a lot of uh, knowledge sharing. So it's a it's a great part of community. And you two are definitely on that list. You know, I appreciate you know knowing you guys every time we get to catch up, and and it's because of jujitsu. So. You guys are you guys are definitely some of my favorite training partners, Professor Dakota from City Wolves. Man, thank you so much for you know taking the time out, coming and talk to talking to us, and 
and reaching out and doing stuff for the community too. I'm interested to see where this goes and, and what comes of it. So thank you so much. And Jamie as well, man. Thank you guys for coming out. Thank you, man. Thanks for allowing me to voice all this and reaching out and be willing to help out both of you guys. I'm sure I'll see you guys soon uh, as far as training and hanging out. Yeah, man. Yes, sir. You got to stay safe. Hey, I saw the bomb threat post. There were bomb threats in town yesterday, right? Oh, yeah, dude. We had bomb threats yesterday and last weekend as well. Um, last weekend, I think there was one in Deming, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, and Cruces. Uh, I know there was a, a live one that they defused yesterday. Oh, wow. wow. I know that. I, I know we went to Walmart and everybody was evacuated. It looked like it was like a fire drill. But uh, when we got online, we saw, I guess it was a bomb threat there at the Walmart on Walton. Yeah, there was one there. And then there was uh, there was another one to hill in like the Sonoma area, the one that they diffused up there. I don't know what the extent of the explosive device was. I don't know how big or small it was, but I know it was a live one and they were able to get it done. Yeah, they sent a crew up from Fort Bliss to take care of it. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they called for an EOD from Fort Bliss. Oh wow, that's that's crazy. Once again, I appreciate you guys. Stay safe out there, Professor. You know you're doing a great thing for everybody, and we greatly appreciate it. So I'm looking forward to seeing both of you guys uh, very soon. Thanks again, man. I appreciate it.